Chapter Nine of Craddock Knoll: A Tale of the New Forest, Volume One, by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Nine. Miss Eudoxia was now the queen of the little household, and the sceptre she bore was an iron one to all except her niece john that easy good-natured parson who coming in from the garden or parish any summer forenoon would halt in the long low kitchen if a nice crabbed question presented itself take his seat outright upon the corner of the ancient dresser and then and there discuss some moot point in the classics or tie and untie over again some fluffy knot historical which after all is but a pucker in the tatters of a scarecrow and all the while he would appeal to the fat cook or the other maid for the house only kept two servants and all the while miss amy would poke in little pike points of impudence and ignorance john i must confess at last was threatened so with dishclouts pepper and even rolling pins that the cook began to forget the name of plato which had struck her and the housemaid could not justly tell what tibullus says of paley's john you are so lamentably deficient in moral dignity and the mutton not put down yet and the kidney beans getting ropey if you must sit there you might as well begin to slice the cucumber i dare say you don't do that even to be sure doxy so i will i sharpened my knife this morning doxy indeed and before the servants i am sure johanna must have heard you though she makes such a rattle in there with the rolling-pin like a doctor's pestle and mortar she always does when i come out to pretend she is so busy and most likely she has been listening for half an hour and laughing at your flummery what do i care about acarnius now don't tell me any jokes if you please brother john with butter on both your legs too oh if i could only put you in a passion i might have some hopes of you then but i should like to see the woman that could you have so little self-respect eudoxia that is the very converse of seneca's proposition then seneca didn't know how to converse and i won't be flouted with him seneca to me indeed or any other heathen let me tell you one thing john rosedew miss eudoxia now was wrathful not nettlesome only but spinous perhaps it would be rude to hint that in this latter word may lurk the true etymon of spinster let me tell you one thing and perhaps you'll try to remember it for with all your wonderful memory you never can tell to-morrow what i said to-day surely not dear doxy because you talk so much it is related of that same seneca that he could repeat fiddlesticks now you want to turn off the home truth you feel to be coming but you shall have it john rosedew and briefly it is this although you do sit on the dresser your taste is too eclectic you are a very learned man but your learning gilds foul idols you spend all your time in pagan's company while the epistles and gospels have too little style for you oh aunt eudoxia how dare you talk to my papa like that my own daddy and me to hear you and just now you flew into a pet because you fancied johanna heard him call you doxy i am astonished at it aunt doxy and it is not true not a word of it 
Come with me, father dearest, and we won't say a word to her all the afternoon. Even young Amy saw that her father was hit very hard. There was so much truth in the accusation, so much spiteful truth. Among the beauties, nuda veritas, a smooth skin is not one, that poor John felt as if Aristophanes were sewn up henceforth in a pig-sack. He slunk away quietly to his room, and tried to suck some roots Hebraic, whence he got no satisfaction. He never could have become a great theological scholar. After all, a man must do what God has shaped his mind for. So in a week, John Rosedew got back to his native element. But Sister Doxy's rough thrust made the dresser for many a month like the bottom of a pincushion, where the pins are long and the bran has leaked out at the corner. Now Miss Eudoxia Rosedew was always very sorry when she had indulged too much in the pleasure of hurting others. It was not in her nature to harm any living creature, but she could not understand that hurt is the feminine of harm. The feminine frequentative, if I may suggest that anomaly. She had a warm, impulsive heart, and sided almost always with the weaker party. Convinced profoundly as she was of her brother's great ability, she believed, whenever a question arose, that the strength was all on his side, and so she went dead against him. One thing, and the most material one, she entirely overlooked, as a sister is apt to do, to wit, the breadth and modesty of her brother's nature. One thing, I say, for the two are one, so closely are they united. It is a goodly sight to see John Rosedew and his sister upon their way to church, she supporting the family dignity with a maid behind her to carry the books, that it may please thee to defend us with the real footman, just touching John's arm with the tips of her glove, because he rolls so shockingly, and even his Sunday coat may be greasy. Then, if a little girl comes by, Lady Eudoxia, as the village half in joke and half in earnest has already dubbed her lady eudoxia never looks at her they are so self-important now even those brats of children but she knows by instinct whether that little girl has curtsied if she has it is nicely acknowledged but if she has not what a chill runs down the lady's rigid spine john did you see that see what doxy Three sugar-plums, my little dear, and a few of our cough lozenges. I heard you cough last Sunday, and you may suck them in the sermon time, because they don't smell of peppermint, and they are quite as nice as licorice. How is your mammy, my darling? Well, John, well, Mr. Rosedew, if you have no more sense of propriety, and so near the house of God. And Miss Eudoxia walks on in front, while the girl who failed to curtsy, has thrust one brown hand long ago into the parson's ample palm and with the other is stoking that voracious engine whose vernacular name is mouth amy of course is at the school where this little girl ought by rights to have been only for her cough which would come on so dreadfully when the words were hard to spell and when they meet amy by the gate the double gate of the churchyard both sides only open for funerals how smooth and rich and calm she looks calm yet with a heart of triumph as her own class clusters round her and won't even glimpse at the boys not even the very smallest boy 
one of whom has the cheek to whistle and pretends that he meant the old hundredth but in spite of all this eudoxian grandeur there is not a poor man in nowelhurst no not even a woman who did not feel in earnest heart faith and goodwill towards her for the worldly nonsense was cast aside when she stood in the presence of trouble and her native kindness and vigor shone forth till the face of grief was brightened then she forgot her titled grandmother so often quoted and such a bore the countess of driddledrum and dromore and glowed and melted as all must do who are made of good carbon and water so let her walk into the village church with the pride which she is proud of her tall and comely figure shown through the scarf of lavender crepe her dark silk dress on the burial flags wiping dust from the memory of john stiles and his dear wife susan and old johanna for goodly fat cook maid dishing up prayer books and guides to the altar and thy gloves on the top ostentatiously gloves whose fingers are to thine as vermicelli to sausages johanna spoil not our procession by loitering under the hollow oak to wink at thy sweetheart jem pottles neither do thou o hollow oak look down upon us and tell of the tree only one generation before thee under thy branches the arab himself had better not talk of lineage some acorn spat forth half crunched and bedribbled by the deer or the swine of the forest and in danger perhaps of being chewed afterwards by the ancestors of royalty our family trees are young fungus to thee and our roots of nobility pignuts End of chapter 9